the Green Profits podcast. I'm your host, Megan Carpenter, and my special guest today is Glenn Eels, who is General Manager of Envirocom, an Australia-wide environmental consultancy with a focus on waste and sustainability. Envirocom has offices on the Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Sydney, Orange, Canberra, and Melbourne. They provide consulting services and programs in environmental education, waste assessments, training programs for both government and private organisations. Their projects include a mix of scientific knowledge, community behavioural change, education, communication, research and operational logistics. Glenn helped establish Envirocom back in 1998 and has worked as a waste and environmental educator, principal consultant and state manager before becoming general manager. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you, Megan. So you've, you've worked in waste a long time before it was topical. Of course, we've had the War on Waste ABC TV series with the fantastic Craig Rucastle over the past few years. And that's opened up people's eyes to the issue of waste. And I guess it's spurred on a whole new generation. Tell us about your journey over the last 20 years and how things have changed in the area of waste. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit funny because um, back in the 1990s when when I started doing this, was the same time that curbside recycling was coming to Queensland. Okay. Um, so at that point, everything was new, um, and there was a thousand questions, and um, the, the community was, was really engaged with wanting to know what to do and how it works and, and how it will all work in the future. Um, we recently did some, some research um, with, with householders, and most of those householders could not even remember when they learned what could go in the yellow bin. <laughs> so we've, in the last 20, 25 years, we've moved from wanting to know everything to it's now a habit. Yes. Habits are great, but some of them aren't really good habits. Yeah. Um, a, a number of us have got some fairly poor habits, and the media coverage that we get from things like War on Waste and the, the media coverage around the, the China ban, they serve as great reminders and, and, and wake-ups for us to think about what it is that we're doing with our waste. We've got into this habit of recycling or using the recycling bin and we think we're doing everything we can. But it's time that we, we really started to reflect on exactly what we're doing with the waste, what we're making, how we're treating it when we've got it, how much we value what we've got, and then how, how best to dispose of it um, in the future. So that's a, a really exciting opportunity. Yeah, look, over the last 20 years, it's been a massive change uh, for, you know, since we've had the recycling, but you're right, it's now just a habit. And it's now, it's what we do with that. It's making, I guess, um, taking more advantage of our recycling. And yeah, you're right, it's a great opportunity. Glenn, you're involved in the Kids in Action program and I just wanted to talk about this because it's where school kids work on environmental projects and they showcase them at the Kids Teaching Kids Conference each year. I love seeing the younger generation getting involved and learning about the environment. So tell us about the program. Yeah, the Kids Teaching Kids um, Conference and program is a really exciting program to be part of. At Envirocom, we've been part of this program for, for many years um, here on the Sunshine Coast. Um, we started with our uh, relationship with the delivery of the Waste to Resource Waste Education Program for Sunshine Coast, mm -hmm. and we were supporting groups of students that would run what they called the Waste Warriors um, at the Kids in Action Conference. 
and uh, the waste warriors, they, they manage the waste systems on the site as well as teaching the other kids about the, the issues of waste and recycling and avoiding waste and, um, and one of their big things is running a, a nude food lunch or a low litter lunch at each yeah. of the events. Um, it can be really challenging to, to always have a, a, a low litter lunch, but once you learn some of the skills and get engaged with the, the process, it, it, it can be really rewarding. And if I'm honest, a lot of those kids' lunches look a lot nicer than mine on those days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, these kids running the, the, the Waste Warriors program, they've been doing a really good job for many years. They have introduced organics recycling at the conference. Um, they've obviously got um, mixed recycling at the conference. And then there's a little bit of general waste left over. And they've been tracking it for a number of years now. And the amount of general waste left over, that's stuff that really is unavoidable mm-hmm. within those streams or can't be processed in another way once it's got into those environments. Um, it, it has really significantly reduced over the years. Quite often we wonder if it's more rubbish from us putting up posters and, <laughs> and having sticky tape than from the kids themselves. Yeah. So it's been a really rewarding conference. In fact, yes, for the last okay. three years we, we were running the conference mm-hmm. and, and that conference program and watching the journey of the, the, the students go through the original um, environmental activity day to get their inspiration go off and do their research and work with members of the community, learn about their topics, and then come back at the conference and really engage with the other students um, and teach those students through presentations and workshops and and posters and just running activities on the day. In fact, on the day, the day itself is actually run by a a group of youth ambassadors as the conference MCs. So us oldies really need to just sit back, get out of the way and let the kids teach the kids. <laughs> let them is, run it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it sounds like point. a fantastic program. And, um, you know, I, I love it because it's uh, it's getting the kids involved. It's from a young age. It's putting a high priority on, on doing this. And, and by, by teaching others, they, then they're learning themselves, aren't they? So mm. that sounds fantastic. Glenn, in, um, when we talk about environmental sustainability, it's, it's a fairly complex issue. How do you come up with solutions that people will actually act on? Well, it, 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 it's not always simple. The, the, the technical, the jargon word um, that's being used at the moment is behaviour change. Um, and, and that's really a scientific process of undertaking research into people's behaviours, uh, examining elements that are psychology, examining elements that are barriers, physical barriers, mental barriers, examining uh, potential motivations and, and other elements that will help the, the, the target, or, or in my mm-hmm. case I'll, I'll say the community because it rolls off my tongue a little bit easier, yeah. um, find the, the mo- uh, help, help them find the most appropriate way to um, achieve the, the desired behaviour. Mm-hmm. In the real world, it's really as simple as just looking, paying attention, listening to people yeah. um, and testing and having the rigour in the testing of ideas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't come straight away. Sometimes those ideas need to evolve. Sometimes your target's evolving. Mm-hmm. Once you learn one thing, you can't get keep being taught that same thing. You need to scaffold that learning and learn something on top of it. So most of the time, education programs and behaviour change programs need to change and evolve, and evolve over time. When it comes to applying this sort of stuff within, the, say, the, 
the, the business or the, or, or the commercial sector, we always find in terms of simple solutions, obviously there's no one simple solution, but the, the simplest solution when it comes to waste or, or the most effective solution is often looking at the input side. Right. Um, I remember you recently spoke to uh, Roz White from, mm. from White's YJ's up here. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and she was telling us, and she went into some detail explaining the care and the rigour that they put into their purchasing policy, particularly yes. around fresh food and produce, um, to ensure that the wastage is kept to an absolute minimum. That's important. That, that's, it's, it's very important. It's very obvious when it comes to fresh fruit, food mm. um, and, and food products. But it's equally as important for businesses that do any other sort of process chain. Everything that you end up throwing in your bin from a commercial business, with the exception of the lunch somebody brought from home, is something you bought and paid for either to be transported to your site or, or, or to mm. be used as part of a process. And exactly. so looking at that input side um, and seeing what you can work out with suppliers about maybe reducing waste, having reusable packaging, um, those sorts of things are often the first step. Yes. So if we start right at the very far front, that, that's often the first step. Yeah, no, uh, good point, yeah. After that, we generally do a fair bit of research into what's in the bins, where are the connections between the bins and the people and where waste is going to be generated, Ask the business to examine the processes because everybody's process is a little bit different yes. and see if there's wastage um, as a result of those processes. Mm -hmm. um, I read in a magazine the other day that one of the best first lines to an article I've ever seen and it was, um, sometimes you're so busy making explosives that you forget to look for cheaper ways to make explosives. <laughs> and in many ways, this is a similar process. Sometimes yeah. you're so busy running your business that you miss some of those wastage elements and those opportunities to to either reduce the amount of waste you make or to recapture and reuse some of those byproducts within your own processes. Yes. Yeah. And then after that, we start to examine the the, the waste systems and streams. Right. And, you know, they have all their own complexities, but it's very unique to each business yeah. uh, about what's in there, where the highest priorities are and how to get to them. Mm, mm. Oh, look, that's, that's some um, brilliant tips. And um, actually, Glenn, uh, you're involved with the Containers for Change program. Yeah, the, the Containers for Change program, um, it's, you know, uh, uh, 12 months old and a bit now. Um, it, it's been running pretty well here in Queensland. Initially, we, we, we did do some background research for the department and some others about, you know, how the Containers for Change program may influence existing infrastructure and, and services around the state. But... Since its rollout, it appears that a lot of community groups are actually finding new and innovative ways to, to use this to, to benefit mm -hmm. the community. Uh, Containers for Change is, is helping some community groups fund some important social sporting events and, yeah. and, and, and other elements. So in, in that way, it's working really well. Mm -hmm. It also has the, the added benefit for us at the moment that it, it helps us refocus on the potential value within what, yes. we're what we're talking about as waste. While 10 cents is a nominal value, it is teaching kids who, who are out collecting and, and presenting containers that they're, you know, that, that everything that gets um, discarded is not necessarily worthless um, and gives them an opportunity exactly. to look at that in a different way. You combine that with the war on waste, the, the China's um, sword, 
And we have a society that's now having an opportunity to be prompted to re-examine what they do around waste. Mm -hmm. And so on that that level alone, it's been, you know, a, a really good opportunity. Yeah, so there's like there's kids everywhere collecting these containers mm. and, and, yeah, you're right, they just see the value in it and, mm. and um, yeah, that that's been huge. You work with both government clients and, and business clients. What would you say is the main difference between them? It's a very interesting question. I had thought about this once before, and I was, after working in this industry for 20 odd years, you could easily have assumed that you know the business clients are about saving their own money and and improving the bottom line, and the government clients are all looking at you know education and supporting the community. But it's strange. Over the last few years, those lines are starting to. Blur, or at least the goals are starting to intersect and support mm. each other a lot more um, within the industry. Okay. We've had a recent um, commercial client who was very interested in what happened with their products afterwards. Um, they provide whole foods to, to, to people um, direct to their home, and they wish to minimise the amount of waste that went to landfill. They started with trying to reduce the amount of waste that, that goes out um, and the amount of waste that they generate in their own processes, of course, because you, you've always got to start with, with reducing as much as you can yep. before you, you worry about trying to, to recover it. And then they had us undertake a research project to ensure that all the materials that they were sending um, to consumers could either be recovered within a curbside recycling collection scheme and in Australia, that's 91% of households have got access to one of those yellow litter bins at home. So it's very widespread um, across the Australian community. Of course, as you can imagine, without um, some sort of standardisation or harmonisation across the country, that means that we looked into hundreds of different combinations of what's acceptable within there. And so we, we undertook the research to define what within their, their, their packaging could be recovered through that system and assist them with the education and make sure they weren't contributing to education and to assist them in making sure that all the stuff that's a bit more problematic, like the plastic films, could be returned. And so they extended their responsibility as the, uh, as the producer um, of this out into the community and supported the community in their responsible disposal or, or reuse um, mm -hmm. and, and capturing of, of these materials, which is a little bit sort of different from what we might have expected um, mm. within the commercial sector. Whilst that example is very broad and, and has a really obvious reach in the community, a lot of the other commercial clients are also looking at how they intersect with, with the broader community. Mm -hmm. At the same time, councils are often involved in providing the base level of resource recovery systems and landfills within regions. And so when they're undertaking some of their research into where the opportunities lie, the results of that research may seed the base of an industry which then also su supports the commercial sector. And so a lot of local government and, and mm. state government are examining the, those multifaceted layers where they're, they're wondering, if I do this, how will it support or, or harm the, the commercial sector as well? So there's a, a lot of crossover between. Mm -hmm. But it is fair to say that the, the, the government clients are, are really interested in supporting that, that broad community education. We deliver education programs into schools, into communities. We, we deliver these research programs that support the behaviour change mechanisms that I was speaking about before. 
We do this in recycling, in organics recovery, um, in waste minimisation, and in, in even things like beach litter and um, illegal dumping prevention. Yeah. These are all areas where the local government um, or, or the state government is, is directly responsible for solving those problems or, mm. or being involved in solving those problems. Mm -hmm. So those, those relationships between commercial and government are getting much closer and much more supportive of each other. Yeah, and that can only be positive. Yes. And, and, I mean, when we talk about waste, we need to also talk about recycling and the circular economy. Mm -hmm. Can you explain um, the circular economy and how it works? I'd like to, to sort of differentiate the circular economy from recycling. I sort of say recycling is one, one of the verbs, one of the actions that happens within the circular economy. But the circular economy is really a way of, of thinking or approaching things where what you're trying to do is keep the, the resources, the value that you've got within the economy, as whole and as close to where they are within that economy. So you add, so you maintain that value. In a linear model, things come in at the start, they get used, and they go out at the end. In a circular economy model, what we're trying to do is support those little cycles. Now, this could be just straight recycling, like a yellow little bin. It could be something that's been going on for a number of years, something like high-value timber recovery from walls and bridge demolitions. In those processes, we get a really high-value resource. In, in many instances, the, the dimensions of the timbers that come out of very old walls from the late 1800s and early 1900s, you probably couldn't source those timbers. And if you could, they would be outrageously expensive uh, to get timbers of those dimensions um, at, at the moment. So that's a great example of a, of a circular economy result. Mm. Circular economy in, in Australia, though, isn't just within that, that really high-value stuff. I, I was mentioning before we're, um, that we're involved in some organics recycling programs. Those, those programs are, are really good, and they help remind us that there's other aspects to the circular economy. In this case, what we're, what we're really focusing on is circulating or, or, or cycling the nutrients that may be in food. If we just send them off to landfill, we might have methane captured at the landfill, we might have some that escaped. That methane that we capture will create energy, that's nice and that, that's a positive. Mm -hmm. But if we can cycle those nutrients around, we get to keep the, the core elements that are producing our vegetation and our vegetables and our food. And so we get to, to, to keep cycling some of those key important blocks. And so that's another way to look at the circular economy. What are some of the logistical issues you find with your business clients around waste or the circular economy? Well, we like to start at the front, yes. um, and quite often those, you know, the, um, the, the problems that, that are best solved in, in, in consultation with the clients. Once we've worked through a number of those opportunities, we start to hit some of the real physical barriers. The first one that we often hit is the design of buildings. Were the buildings designed to allow for additional diversion streams? Can you put another bin in there? If you can, can another truck get there? Uh, how do those physical logistics work? Quite often design is that competition between space that makes money and space that doesn't make money. And quite often the space that doesn't make money at that time is, is minimised. And, and so that, that's often an issue within businesses. It's also an opportunity. 
gives us a, a good a, a good chance to remind businesses that if they're doing this to save money and improve the sustainability, they're not making new rubbish when they recycle. It was already in the bin. So the only way they're going to save money is by making that old bin smaller or collected less frequently. Mm. If we could make it smaller, we've got more space, and we can do both things in the one place. Um, That's a great example. Yeah, yeah no. And, and when you do your business training... Um, do you always include waste assessments in that? How does oh, that work? Yeah. For, for sure. There, there always needs to be a, a level of the waste assessment. Training and, and education um, really works best when it's personalised. And yeah. the easiest way to personalise it within a business is to talk about what waste they make. Yeah. To observe what, what, what opportunities are within that business and to... I'm sorry, Megan, but there's a pot of dolphins going past that have attracted my attention... Really? Where are yeah, they? Yeah, just, well, from there, you'll have to lean this way a little so, bit, but they're just between over the, the crock of that shea before the pad. That is, oh, they're coming onto that shark boy, more or less. Where'd they go? So I've ruined the whole thing by watching <laughs> dolphins. Um, so right. I've got the, um, the I do that sort of thing sometimes. Oh, I can see them. Mmm. I used to do guiding for little kids in national parks many years ago. And it seems to be the only skill I've retained, seeing what? things that move. Ah, the trees, guys, and that sort of thing. Oh, wow, that's amazing. It's a good sign. A pot of dolphins swimming by as we're talking. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, within the business sector, we, we always like to include waste assessments within any training program. Um, essentially, training and education works most effectively when it's linked to people, when it's personalised. The best way to do that within the business is to look in their bins. And then you're talking to the people about the waste they're making or the issues they're, they're addressing or the opportunities they're missing. Mm -hmm. And so there's always an element to that, that, that waste stream assessment in there. We like to always include an element of waste stream mapping. Uh, when we look in the bins, we look in the bins. That's not always where the waste is made. It may be at a photocopier, it may be at a process. And if we find a lot of, say, paper in the general waste bin and we look at the photocopier, was there a diversion point there? Was there a reuse point there? Yeah. Where are these opportunities? Where are the connections? So we like to work our way from the bin up each step in the movement chain to find out where all those decision points are, so where things can go wrong, where things can go well, and then find the, the last point is where the initial decision is made to present something for diversion or, or, or disposal. Mm. It's odd. You'd be surprised the number of, well, we've certainly been surprised, um, undertaking these waste stream assessments and finding that in some large buildings or, or with some large clients that the diversion that's happening within the office or within the, the factory floor may not be the same as the waste streams bins that are sitting out the back. Yeah. They may be separating in all sorts of containers and it gets out the back and there's only one or two. Right. Yeah. Um, so there needs to be those connections there. Um, and, and finding where those where those connections could be broken, and if we can find those and address those, we've got a better chance of having the system work all the way through. And it comes down to people, you know, people's mm. actions and, and what they yeah. do at the time. So, no, it's, and by identifying each point is, um, yeah, that's that's the way you find out these things. Yeah. yeah, and it gives you those other opportunities to to identify what are the specific training needs and who needs them. Yes. Um, so it may be. 
you've got a different training set for the people who are working there and a different training set for cleaners and maybe you've got a different training set for a facility manager, just depending on what, what the business structure is and yeah. whether or not you share with the body corporate and all that sort of stuff. True, yeah. If you could give some advice to businesses on how to handle their waste, what would you say? Obviously, I've said a few times, you start at the start yeah. and you look what comes in. And then after that, you start to think about those processes as they move through. With the circular economy becoming more accessible, which is the big push at the moment, it's turning up in states and, and federal government um, programs and, and goals, and there is increasing numbers of support systems for businesses within that circular economy that gives you a chance to put you and another business in touch with What's one person's waste or one person's potential resource? Mm -hmm. So that's always a chance as well to look at those opportunities that aren't just the traditional landfill or recycling. Yes. And, and to try and examine those opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that, when we get down to, to the end point, you, you are got a comparison between landfill and different recycling technologies uh, or different recycling opportunities. And with the waste levy that's been recently brought in by the, the state government here in Queensland, which matches similar sorts of approaches in most other states in Australia, businesses are really being encouraged through the use of that financial instrument to find ways to remove materials from the landfill stream and use them some other way. Whether or not that's using them in the circular economy, reusing them themselves first, making sure that they didn't get them to start with, or using a traditional recycling stream, the, the, the process to encourage that is now delivered by the, the state government at $75 this year and increasing and increasing over time um, to, to continue that focus um, on, on maintaining diversion. Yeah, I love how you call it a financial instrument. And, oh, and I have read too many policy documents. <laughs> and opportunity, like it, it, this is an opportunity, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's the other side of the financial instrument. It's not just encouraging businesses to try and keep stuff out of landfill, but it's also encouraging people who've got an idea to say that, you know what, my idea needs to be now, I've got $75 of more competitiveness up my yes. sleeve for making this, this idea work. How can I innovate and make this technology or this process or this opportunity for business work better within that, that opportunity provided by the financial instrument? Yeah, that's it. So um, you must have seen some big blunders that organisations do. Um, have you got some examples of, of things that, that, that have cost them a lot of money? Not mentioning any names. No, not mentioning any names <laughs> and, and staying out of anything to do with regulated ones. <laughs> yeah. um, no. Uh, I, I suppose the, the, the biggest one has come back to some of those examples I mentioned before. Where, when I said that, you know, we've gone into hundreds of businesses and moved thousands of kilos of waste by hand and we are still shocked sometimes at the difference within those waste handling points. So somebody at the very start thinks they're doing A, the person in the middle thinks they're doing B, and right. the service at the end is C. Right. Um, and when you've got everybody doing work in a different direction, it's always going to cost you money. 
Yes. So having that straight line or, or that alignment between all those those processes would be my biggest tip: mm-hmm. is to carefully examine those and you know really find, make sure that alignment's working. Yeah, and you manage a corporation that has offices in capital cities, but also in the smaller regional places. Mm-hmm. How do the different council facilities affect what businesses can do in the circular economy? Well, within the, 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 the circular economy, the, the council facilities, um, actually council facilities across Australia are pretty good yeah. um, regionally or in, in major cities. Um, some of the, the, the initial innovation with different um, diversion points and different ways of collecting material were were came from the regions to the city. So in many ways, the, the, you know, the regions are leading in these sorts of areas. Um, the regions often lead in these sorts of areas because they've got distance as as their enemy. Um, so if you collect 100 kilos of glass in the middle of Woodwalk, it's going to cost yeah. you a lot more to get that 100 kilos somewhere than it is if you collect that in in, in a capital city. Exactly. So you need to innovate and make sure that you've got the systems in place to, to handle these materials. We're, we're doing a lot of work in, in regional New South Wales out of our office in Orange mm-hmm. um, that's focused on both commingled and general recycling and, and waste minimisation as well as... Um, food and garden organic recycling. Mm-hmm. And it may seem strange to people that things like that food and garden or organics recycling is in the country. Most people might assume that you've got plenty of room, you can do your own compost bin. But it's really about where the resources are needed. Yeah. If the resources are being used in, the, in rural Australia as nutrient cycles, then it's, it makes sense to, to generate, capture and process those materials in those regions. Mm. And so, so quite often the, the regions are the leaders. Wow, yeah. yeah. So tell us about that, um, the FOGO system. I know it's been introduced in many councils around Australia, and that's the F-O-G-O, stands for the Food Organics, Garden Organics. So, and this is where the um, households get the three wheelie bins. So it's the one for recycling, one for waste, and the new one for FOGO. Mm. Um, so tell us how that works, and um, and you know what happens after it gets picked up by the council. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you about Fogo. Just just before I do, I, I did notice that earlier this week that the Victorian state government um, released an idea for four bins. So we'll have oh, to see okay. how many bins is coming. How many uh, bins? But anyway, <laughs> um, in, in relation to the the Fogo itself. Um, once that material is collected, within Australia, most of the processes at the moment are using a composting system. Mm-hmm. Um, that composting system is either an in-vessel composting system. If you think about your home compost bin, and, but you're actively adding water and you're actively adding air, so these mm-hmm. compost processes can be done in 14, 28 days. And That's by adding the right amount of air and water, you're getting the, the materials up to temperature much faster, you're killing your pathogens, that sort of stuff within within the materials, and you're processing those materials through the vessel much quicker. They still sit out for a little while to, to finalise and maturation stages, mm-hmm. um, but they can process through there very quickly. The other process that's commonly used in, in Australia is an open windrow process, mm-hmm. and that can either be air-injected or just turned, as if you were using a garden fork, um, and they irrigated and managed to um, make sure that they reached their temperatures as well. And they worked quite successfully um, 
uh, across Australia. So that technology choice is is really a little bit up to the service provider. The councils will generally um, call for a service provider to, to provide them a service and then compare the different technologies and prices and opportunities provided by each of the, um, the, the commercial entities and make their selection that's right for their, their area. Uh, there is a, a bit of a growing trend in Australia to start to look towards what's called anaerobic digestion, mm -hmm. um, which is a similar process to what's used as part of the serious treatment process where you decompose your organic matter without air and then you can capture right. the gas that comes off make energy from that gas and you've got some organic material left over that can then be used um, for, for, for application as a fertiliser or soil conditioner um, under its appropriate conditions. So that's another technology that's been investigated in Australia, very popular in Europe, but in Europe it's very popular because they like heat as well, so if you can make a gas and burn it, you, 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 you can make yourself a little bit warmer. Yeah, okay. um, some parts of tropical Australia last thing we want is a little bit extra heat sometimes. Yeah, but, true. <laughs> uh, so it's horses for courses when it comes to the technologies. And, and so, you know, at, at the end of this process, you either come out with compost or, like you say, the fertiliser or the soil conditioner. So it's, it's a valuable resource at the end, isn't it? So yeah. councils can use that for their gardens. Yeah, Yeah, councils can use that for their gardens. Um, but, but mostly, once you've provided it to the, 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 the commercial entity, that'll be blended directly into soils or into or, or sold as conditioners to, to yeah. agriculture. It may be moved in, in bulk and used within the agricultural sector. And when it's used in the agricultural sector, there's that perfect cycle between the pumpkin peel or the pumpkin that we ate Yep. Um, if we weren't roasting it, because roast pumpkin is very nice with the peel on. But the, <laughs> the other pumpkin peel going back through the cycle and ended up back on the agricultural land. So, yes. you know, it's an ideal cycle when it's doing that as well. That's brilliant, yeah. And and households can put all sorts of things in their, in their you know, fogo bin. It can be all, like all the food, even bones and shells. and, and Yeah, all, all those food products can go in. So if you can imagine a... Um, uh, a, a Christmas tree with a little bit of grass around it and food instead of bonbons, all of that stuff can now just go straight into your yeah. photo bin. The, the tree, <laughs> the leaves, the grass, the food, all that sort of stuff. There is a few license conditions around Australia that will mean that, um, generally speaking, within a, 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 a municipal stream like that or a, a council stream like that, you wouldn't be able to get your, your manures in there. But other than that, pretty much all that organic material that you're generating at home we, we, with some of our clients, their processors can't accept those compostable bags in the process. So the users in those communities will often line their, their ice cream tub, tub or, or caddy or whatever they, they're using to collect their food with newspaper. Yeah. So, you know, quantities of newspaper and, and other paper products are also commonly accepted within those systems as well as the food and the garden. Right. And, and so that whole system, that must take a huge amount of waste away from landfill? Um, it, it certainly takes a, a large amount of waste away from landfill, both by both weight and by both its impact in the landfill. But right. food waste itself is really small and heavy, so it doesn't take a big hole out of the bin. But you know, most of the most of our red bins um, or our general waste bins, they, they can be up to forty percent organic material, combination of garden and, and kitchen waste. And so if we can remove 40% of that mass from that bin and, and get it through this process, we're well ahead. 
So, Glenn, you've achieved so much in the area of waste and you've seen a lot of changes over the, over the years. What's your personal mission and what do you hope to achieve or what's the impact that you hope to have with the work that you do? Yeah, well, with the, the work that both myself and, and the rest of the, the team at Envirocom, we're, we're all fairly focused in, in, in a similar direction. We're, we're, we're very interested in our communities being supported, whether or not that's the one we specifically live in or more broadly across Australia, our community is being supportive in achieving their sustainability aims and goals. We like to do that through our behaviour change programs and they're supported by the research, but really at the core of it is the empowerment for the community. And we start, we, we start that by ensuring that we've got that empowerment within our staff base as well. The only reason that we've achieved so much over the, the last 22-odd years is the people that we've had working with us. We've got an excellent pool of staff. We've yeah. got 26-odd professionals, depending on how you want to count some of the, the permanent part-timers uh, across the country. Mm-hmm. And they are consistently bringing innovation, listening to their clients, listening to the communities that they're working in, listening to the opportunities that the industry is providing and putting these things together so that the communities that they're working in and supporting really have the best opportunity to achieve outcomes. We've done really exciting projects over the years which have been great, but sometimes it's not necessarily the most exciting ones that that, um, fulfil you with the, the, the satisfaction. Sometimes it's as simple as being and I don't do many public place events anymore, but when we were out supporting council doing, say, waste education at a World Environment Day festival, finding somebody that comes back and talks to you about what they remember learning five or ten years ago. In fact, one of our staff members who's recently joined with us, we discovered that many years ago when I was doing this job, uh, at the coalface, she was in year five and won a poetry competition explaining her interest in sustainability and sustainability outcomes. And it was really encouraging to see her actually mean it in year five and be doing it now, uh, yes. having graduated and, and, and moving forward and, and out there delivering within the sector. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Look, you've got a wealth of knowledge. And, and what's uh, intrigued me today is actually the... Um, the absolute importance of education in the field of, of waste and circular economy. Mm. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today on, on the podcast, Glenn. Um, love what you do and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, go, go you Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> well, there you have it. The big thing I took away from that is that businesses need to be careful about what they order in or buy in or, as Glenn calls it, their inputs the more accurate the ordering, the less waste in the first place. And of course, it's always better to reduce than to recycle it after the fact. I love how Glenn uses the term opportunity. So he talks about opportunity for saving money, opportunity to change behaviours and look at things differently. And of course, the technology is always changing. So it's important, I think, for businesses to allocate time and resources to review your waste system and make sure that there's a smooth flow through of waste in your business and that everyone's on the same page. 
And how amazing that a pot of dolphins just happened to swim by outside the studio here on the Sunshine Coast and interrupt Glenn mid-sentence. I uh, love being here on the Sunshine Coast, love nature. Uh, it's the most beautiful part of the world. Thank you for listening. My mission is to promote and educate people on the money-saving and money-making benefits of sustainability. My name is Megan Carpenter. Thank you for all that you do. Take care and be good to our planet. Bye for now.